Okay, let me begin with the title. <laughs> it's great when someone calls you up and asks you for a title, and then you look at the printed brochure and they pick their own title. But I did not say it was going to be small talk, because it's nothing about what we're talking today that's going to be about small talk. It's actually all about big talk. The type of talk that may be able to change your child's life when a seminal moment appears to them. Uh, what we have and we've studied more and more is that the strongest, the strongest values that helps children, teens, grown-ups, go through some very difficult choices is their parent-child relationship. You've seen probably most of the ads done on drugs, talk to your kids. You've seen probably most of the ads done on safe sex, talk to your kids. Because we're learning that that is one of the biggest issues. And I've actually had the gift to be able to step into Beis Chana and uh, talk with the girls for quite a while, and that was my primary, my primary focus there. Why would you talk to your classmate who's as hormonally confused as you are, rather than to your mother who would chop off her right hand for you in a moment? And most kids get a blank look. It's the first time it even dawns upon them that, yeah, why am I doing that? Um, in my experience, I've given a lot of classes there. I've only had one girl who told me she'd rather not ask her mother and not hear the word no than have an hour conversation with her mother, understand her mother, have her mother understand her, and have the no. So most kids out there are interested in having the strongest support system that's available to them. I often tell my kids, you have a potential six billion friends, you only have one parent. Don't confuse that. So what we're talking about today is the furthest thing from small talk. It's really building a bridge that probably, because we're all faced with challenges, probably will one day save your child from making a huge mistake, okay? So I want to start with an introductory story. There's a woman in my community that went for a Shabbaton in Crown Heights. She came back and she told me the following story. This story to me changed my entire life with my children. She told me that Matzah Shabbos, Saturday night after Abdullah, she sees that the 23-year-old son is waiting to talk with the father. They both go into the father's study. I know the family. I'm not going to mention the name. And they're having this conversation. She was intrigued by this. In her world, 23-year-old children don't discuss issues with their parent. And she wanted to know, what are they talking about? Especially that it seemed to carry this whole aura of holiness to it. So, a Yiddish mama sets her goal to find something out. Not many people are going to get into her way. And she found out. She found out that the boy was dating. The boy has been out on a couple of dates. The boy wanted to discuss with his father what he thought about the girl, what his feelings were about the girl, whether he's focusing on the right things. And he wanted to know what his father thought about this girl. She was blown away by that. She came back, and out of her whole experience, Shabbos, with all the speakers and all the great stuff that was going on, that's what she wanted to share with me. She wanted to share with me the power of that moment. She expressed to me how in her world, going to a parent to discuss dating, your feelings about someone of the opposite sex, was out of the question. You don't go to your mother, you don't go to your father, you go to the geniuses, your classmates. So that's what happened there. And she shared with me that. That story, for some reason, hit me like a bomb because I'm going to share with you something personal about myself. I asked myself this one question. How is it in my world? Who will my child speak to when he or she is dating? 
That was the question that really burned by me. And I'm going to tell you, I told you I'd share with you something personal. I'm going to tell you why this made such a difference to me. Because my wife is from Israel. I was dating my wife in Israel. My parents live in New York. And truth be said, other than my parents knowing I was dating and asking me the primary questions after each date, I didn't discuss my dating, my questions, my feelings with my parents. If you want to know who I discussed it with, I will admit it to you. I discussed my feelings with a classmate who was two months ahead of the game than I was. So imagine what we're talking about. The maven who's going to tell me what you're supposed to look for in your soulmate was my classmate who was a maven because he's already married for two months. <laughs> now my big problem was, was my son going to make the same mistake? That was the day that I committed to myself that I'm taking my parenting out of cruise control and I'm going to really work on it. It was my life's goal to make sure that no matter what destiny has for my child, from the happiest moments to God forbid, who knows what happens in this crazy world, he'll always know that he can talk to me without being judged. That story changed my life. I'm sharing it with you because I want you to ask yourself that question. Do you really think that the relationship you have right now with your child, your child is going to discuss with you intimate moments in their lives, real confusion, real doubt, peer pressure? Most of us, unfortunately, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're going to have to answer no. Now, that in itself is scary. But what's really scary is not who they don't talk to. What's really scary is thinking about who they will talk to. I'm going to share with you something that actually isn't in my notes. When my son came over to me and told me that he knows about the, what do you, how do you say it, the bees and the birds, whatever it is, that I had to deal with the issue. So I called up my teacher and I asked him, I've looked, I can't find the Rebbe talking about this at all. I really have not found a single answer or a single talk of the Rebbe on how to teach your children these facts of life. I was bothered by that. Everything we do comes from the Rebbe. He told me he went through the same thing. He then asked me, so what do you want to do? I told him, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do. He says, what don't you want to do? I said, I don't want to do what my father did. And he asked me, what did your father do? And I said, nothing. That wasn't going to happen between my child and me. Because I knew that he was going to find out the facts of life. And if it isn't from me, it's going to be from someone else. Most probably, again, either someone two months younger than him or two months older than him. So that's really what I'm here to talk to you about. Remember the law in physics. There is nature abhors vacuum. If you don't do the job, someone else will. Be careful. You don't know who that someone else is. You don't know how they're going to present it. With that introductory story being told, I'd like to share with you another very interesting moment in my life. It happened here in Florida. We had the, um, the what's it called? The, uh, not the international convention, but the regional. I'm sorry, the regional convention, because in the southeast, the largest uh, state of Shluchim is Florida. Very often we have it here. We had it then in Golden Beach. And after everything was over, there was a Fabrengen. Rabbi Kutlarski spoke at that Fabrengen, and he said, shared a story. He shared a story, a personal story of the Rebbe, that he was in some third world, fourth world country, and he came back, and all of a sudden, he just had this huge fear of 
having some sickness. Wrote into the Rebbe, he spoke to Rabbi Chadikov, whatever it may be, finally the Rebbe gave him the following answer. You're to learn duties of the heart, gateway of trust, three times, notify me after every single time that you finish that. By the way, the book is around in English. It's translated. For whatever reason, I had to make some achlata. It was a shluchim's convention, and that was my achlata. I started a class with someone in my community, and we learned through the gateway of trust, most of it at least. I was surprised by the way the man handles it, this great sage. He lays down a foundation that there are certain prerequisites that are needed to earn someone's trust. I can't just tell you, trust me. I need to earn your trust. And for me to earn your trust, I need to have certain prerequisites. And he gives some very typical, practical prerequisites. And then he asks the question, does Hashem match these prerequisites? Should we trust him or should we not trust him? I was blown away by this approach. It wasn't the chas v'sholem, Hashem, you have to trust him. No, did Hashem earn your trust? And he goes through that system. Why am I sharing that here? We're not talking about trusting Hashem, but I'm sharing with you this for one reason. Most of us take for granted the mere fact that I am biologically my kid's par parent, I have earned their trust. Now, if the Chayvis Alavovitz can put Hashem through the test, whether Hashem earned our trust, don't you think that we should put ourselves through the test? Did we earn our child's trust? There are some prerequisites. There are some foundations. Women, if you go from this workshop and have a talk with your kid, the experience is going to flop on its face because you can't ignore the history you have with your child. You can't expect your child to open up and let you know what music she really has on her iPod. You also can't expect from your child to tell you what her real name on Facebook is. She doesn't trust you yet. He doesn't trust you yet. So if the Chayvitz Alavavitz can put Hashem through the job of proving us that you earned our trust, then put yourself through that test. Ask yourself whether you have earned your child's trust whether your child feels safe discussing with you certain issues that's going to make your hair stand. So what we're going to discuss here today is three prerequisites, which I believe from personal experience is fundamental to be able to have a conversation with your child, which will allow them to feel that they can trust you and they can talk to you more than the, how was school today? Great. What happened? Oh, nothing. What did you learn this week? Nothing. We've all gone through that, right? And then you wonder, why am I paying tuition? <laughs> but that's the conversation. So we need to actually understand our child doesn't feel comfortable with us. Yeah, genetically, we're all the same. And this is my child. He carries my genes. But they don't feel comfortable. They don't trust us. Remember those horrible moments which you yourself regret. You had a blasting headache. Your kid was singing beautifully. And you said, well, you stop it. It's so annoying. Oops. What do you think is going to happen with your child? By the way, I read a documented case of a woman who had the ultimate fear of public speaking, and that's what it boiled down to. Her single mom had a headache. She was singing. She didn't mean anything bad. The mother didn't mean anything bad, and the mother snapped of her. Would you stop? You have the most annoying voice. She was in therapy to get over huge issues of public speaking. We're all nodding our head. <laughs> but let me tell you something. I did it to my kid. You did it to your kid. And let's be honest about it. In one form or another, we didn't mean it. We never mean to hurt our kids. 
but for some reason our kids don't work on our time clock. For the darnest reason, they end up getting in a difficult situation when our patience is already in the red. So we need to understand that our children don't just naturally feel comfortable to come over and talk to us about some of the most personal, deepest, confusing, and, uh, and challenging times. So let's go over some of these foundations. I told you I'm going to share with you three. Point number one, it has got to be about the child. Now, of course, every Yiddish mother is going to look at me. Oh, I've heard me. <laughs> okay. And the sun comes up in the east and goes down in the west. Would you tell us something new? I'm going to ask you to be really, really honest and bravely honest about this question. Is it always about the child? Let me give you a scene. You mothers probably are better at this than I, a father, am. But let me give you a typical scene. You're in a grocery store. Your kid's throwing a full-blown full tantrum wants that big beach ball that the grocery stores always stick right there where the kid's going to see it, knowing that they're going to get you to buy it because your kid's going to throw a tantrum. You do not want to buy this ball. And now the kid is all out, screaming, screeching, on the floor, banging away, and you're sitting there. And now you notice all the women are looking at you. And, ma'am, can you please control your child? The men are sitting there laughing like it's Saturday night wrestling. Who's going to win, the mom or the child? <laughs> now I want to ask you the question. You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to violently give the kid that ball with looks of deep endearment that says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> or you're going to have a different just because of who you are. You're going to put your foot down. That kid's not getting the ball. The kid's going to get a patch because you want to show the world that my kids are disciplined. Whatever you're going to do, by the way, makes no difference to me. What I'm asking you right now is, whatever you're going to do, tell me the truth. Was it about you or was it about the kid? Was this a disciplined moment for the child's upbringing, knowing right for wrong? Or was this about you in the face of everyone in that store looking at you? No, you don't have to answer, but I think the answer is clear because we all go through it. Let's talk about another scene. Your child reaches the amazing moment of turning seven years old and she wants to pick out her own clothes. And of course, honey, let me see you. She comes inside and what's the first words out of your mouth? You are not leaving this house looking like that. Let me ask you another question. Be honest, people, be honest. If we're gonna try to deal with our, pair, our children, our children are not in the room right now. Saturday night, I had a much more difficult case. I was talking to fathers and sons together. But today, we can be more honest. Tell me the truth. What are you worried about? If the kid does work out with a green shirt and a purple skirt, are we worried about who is the mother of that child? Or are we worried about what's the kid going to learn? Got to teach the kid how to dress like a mensch. I'm going to introduce to you a very important book at the end. But I wanted to share with you now an advice that that book says. Pick out three sets of clothing, lay it on the bed, and tell the seven-year-old, go ahead, sweetheart, pick out which one you want. Then the kid, of course, says, but I don't want these three. I want that one. Honey, which one do you want? So you accomplish both. You're helping your child develop, and you're also teaching your child what matches and what doesn't match. But for today, what I really want to discuss with you is when you blew a fit at the clothing that your girl picked out, be honest. 
Was it about your child or was it about you? All of a sudden we're realizing that much, much of our disciplining our children and educating our children isn't because we're worried about our kids in the long term. We're actually worried about our image in the short term. Now, your child senses that. And if it's not about the child, why would the child listen to you? Let's fast forward a little bit and let's up the stakes. We're not talking no more about a three-year-old toddler blowing a fit in Winn-Dixie or Publix. We're not talking about a seven-year-old picking out clothing. Now let's talk about a teenager. Let's talk about a teenager who's going to deal with whatever she does or doesn't have on her iPod, whether she does or doesn't have a Facebook account, whether she should or shouldn't go to the mall with these friends, whether that skirt is exactly what the Rebbe wants on her or not. What happens when that teenager feels that this is not about me? This really isn't about me. This is about my mom. And you know what? My mom's got her image. I have a different image. She grew up in Crown Heights. I'm growing up in Florida. You know, I heard a great speaker. Let me read you his name. Um, he wrote a book called uh, Teach Like Your Hair Is On Fire. When I was on the border of Hillel, they brought him down as a speaker. He's an unbelievable teacher. His name is Rafi Esquith. Just go online, Amazon. Very interesting. One of the things he shared with us is something he tells his class right before they get off the bus. Guys, remember this. I am looking good. I got my fame. He was awarded highly. So this isn't about the way I look. The way you're going to behave when you get off this bus is going to be all about the way you look. A total different perspective. It's very hard for us because Yiddish mamas and Yiddish fathers, we don't work that way. The minute we see a child, we always look at the parent. Oh my God, who's the parent of this child? But that's a very powerful thing. I want to share with you how I personally handle this. Just sharing it with you if it can help, fine. If not, not. I had a talk with my kids, my two boys. And I told them, kids, you have two names. You have a first name and you have a last name. The first name is your individual image. The last name tells you that you belong to a family. It's a different arena. And when we discussed that, I was very clear with them. There are certain issues that you're going to do, which as a person, I also talk about the image of the family. Your last name is not about you. Your last name is about where you come from, who you belong to, and what legacy you're going to carry on. And then you have your first name. Your first name. I'll have three kids, and they'll all behave differently. I have six, by the way, God bless them. But I have three kids, they all behave differently, so they'll say, this one is so, this one is so, this one is so. So there's a last name and there's a first name. Remember that. And once you have that conversation with them, honestly, and you let them know, and they begin to respect that part of their image is also the greater image of the family. Now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about you. I want to tell you something else I do, which I suggest that you mothers do. It took me a long time to learn this. Toot your horn, because no one else is going to do it for you. I actually sat down with my kids. I had a very interesting 
opportunity to do this when they brought up that they heard from someone something about me. And that was the first time I was able to talk to my kids. Yeah, you'll walk around and you'll hear things about me. Remember that. And I was talking positive. I'll tell you what it did. Yeah, bitoch, sidis, gaiva. It's okay. It's okay. It made them so empowered that they have their last name. It made them proud of their last name. It made them realize that part of their individual image is also the blessing of what their parents created for them with the last name image. It makes a huge difference. So people, don't put humility where it doesn't belong. If you don't tell your kids who their grandparents are, I talk to my kids about their grandparents, I talk to my kids about myself, obviously do it correctly. But if you don't let them hear some good things about you and drive them to places where other people will tell you about, tell them about their family, then they're not going to know it. In my shul, there isn't a chance I miss on a yard side where I force the family sit down and talk about the kid's grandfather. I just had it this Friday with someone's yard side. I said, you did talk to your kids about your father, right? And he did. He did it because I told him to do it. So guys, it's about the child, but your child has a first name and a last name. If you don't talk openly to your child about the last name, if you don't talk openly to your child about the image that affects everyone, including yourself, your kid's going to smell that it's not about me, it's about them. She's worried about what they're going to say, what kind of mother she is. But if you could be honest with your kids, lay it on the table, put it out there. Guys, it's not just about you. Do you realize what you're going to be saying about Zadie and Bobby and me and mommy and everything? You've got an image. We've created something for you. And then shift to the individual name and tell them at the end of the day, I've done with my life what I've done with my life. I've created the name that I've created for myself. Now let's talk about you. The child needs to know at some level when there's a combat between you and your child, it isn't about you and your image. It's about the child and what's best for the child and the destiny of the child. So point number one, it's got to be about the child. Don't lie about it. Let your kids know clearly that there's a last name involved, but then focus on the first name. So that's going to be point number one that I'm going to talk to you about. Point number two, another no-brainer. And again, I'm going to challenge you. Love your kids unconditionally. Is there anyone in this room who does not love their kids unconditionally? Part of us, all of us, myself included, do not love our kids unconditionally. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, why can't my kid be like her kid? She is so well behaved, does so good in school, always dressed like a mensch. Now, please focus on what I just said. I did not ask you whether you ever told your kid in a moment of frustration, why can't you be like your sibling, your this, your that? I didn't say, why did, did you ever say to your kid? Which probably most of us had these moments. I asked you whether you ever thought that. Why did I ask you whether you ever thought that? Okay, ladies. Your husband probably doesn't have to tell you. I mean, he's dead meat if he does. But your husband doesn't have to ever tell you, why can't you be like 
Yankel's wife. Because he doesn't have to say that. You'll smell it, you'll sense it, you'll see it, the second that fleeting thought goes through his head. Because we feel that. Let me tell you women, your kids are better than you women are at sensing that. That moment of frustration when you think to yourself, why can't this kid be? He sensed it. Let's talk about history. Do you remember when you held your sister's baby who just came home from the hospital and your own toddler came running and racing with raging, with jealousy, and you had to put down the other baby? And you were like shocked, holy moly. What just happened here? Kids never lose that. Kids never lose that. <laughs> I want to share with you a story in my community. There's a very nice family. And uh, the mother told me that when she brought home the second child from the hospital, the kid was so excited. Oh, mazel tov. And then after a couple of minutes, the kid asked the parent, so where's this baby's parents? It's a true story. <laughs> Kid's adorable, but uh, who's taking him home soon? It's real. It is absolutely real. Your children, like women sense when a husband, God forbid, is looking at another lady with a fleeting thought of, and I'm not even talking about non-kosher, I'm just talking everything kosher so far. The kid sees that. The kid senses when you look at another kid with a little bit more naches and a little bit of halavai, oh if only my kid. The kids sense that. And it's so, so important for your kid to know that you feel, please listen to the words I'm about to say, you feel that you are the luckiest parent in the world, that you have this child for a child, and that this child is the perfect child you could have ever asked for. My kids have a love-hate relationship with me because of what I do, but I'm going to tell you what I do. By their simchas, my speech isn't a rabbi speech or community. I line my kids up in front of me, and I talk to that kid. The most beautiful moment I've ever had as a parent in my life was by my son's bar mitzvah, when I said it in public in front of 200 people listening, letting him know that I am the luckiest father, that I have you for my child, and you are the most perfect child I could have ever asked for. That child will never forget that, and I will never forget that. When we talk about unconditional love, we're not talking about, and by the way, many parents do this wrong. <laughs> there are always parents that, my kid is always right. And in the confines of their home, don't worry, that teacher is so stupid. Wait till I talk to Mrs. Dolphin tomorrow. <laughs> and they think that this is showing their child that I unconditionally love you and you can do nothing wrong in my eyes. Here's another little secret. I grew up the opposite. I came home, I had my father or mother found out that I got in trouble with my teacher. The first thing I got was a patch because I got in trouble with my teacher. Then they asked me what I did. When they found out what I did, I got a second patch. That's the way I was brought up. Teachers are always right. I started that way with my children. I will tell you, I had the most painful experience when I had no choice. I'm not here to talk against teachers, I love teachers. But there was a certain teacher that didn't belong in that position. He had to be changed for his age. He was dealing with the wrong age group. And today, thank God, he is changed. But he would not stop with my kid. And I had the unfortunate experience to tell my kid, you happen to be right. Your teacher is wrong. And from there, I rolled right into a famous Hebrew saying. 
be smart, don't be right. And I went on to tell my children that in school, democracy does not exist. Your teacher is the king of her classroom or his classroom. So be smart. But at least he knew that I was with him there. It came to a point that his father, who always said the teacher's always right, had to admit to his son, this time you happen to be right. But however, let me share with you something. Children are not stupid. Children know when they're wrong. Mothers, you will lose your child's respect when they know that they're wrong and you're telling them how stupid the teacher is. So don't confuse unconditional love with bias. They're two separate things. My kid knows that I will tell them when they're wrong and they know that I unconditionally love them. There are parents whose kids are always right and the kids know that they don't have their unconditional love. Because the real power of unconditional love is for me to tell my kid, you were wrong and I love you unconditionally. So the second thing is all about love your kids unconditionally. Don't confuse that with selling them hogwash. Oh, your teacher is stupid, this one's wrong, and don't worry, I'll take care of it. No, I cannot believe you did that in class. That was horrible. Wanna go for ice cream? There's no, there's no contradiction here. There is no contradiction here. I'll tell my kid you did wrong, I'm not stepping in, I'm not talking to your teacher, you're a big girl, you spill the milk, you'll clean it up, and it'll be okay. And now let's have a father-daughter moment. Let's go out and talk. So unconditional love is real. Never, never forget that you are the luckiest parent, that you have the best child that you could ever have asked for. Your kids need to see that in your eyes. Don't ever let your kids see in your eyes and envy if only my kid can behave like that. You've lost them. You've lost their trust and they have no reason to listen to you or trust you and talk to you anymore. Point number three. <sighs> Point number three is about an ancient art that has long been lost. It's called listening. What does listening mean? I trust that all you women are married. There's all married women here, right? This is only for married women, the Shay. So I want to ask you a question. How do you feel when you're having a conversation with your husband? You know what? Let's be more honest. You're actually having an argument with your husband. And you know that your husband isn't listening to what you're saying because he's already building his rebuttal to what you're saying. How do you feel? Terrible. How many times have you women been honest with your husband? Honey, what's wrong? I'll tell you, but don't fix it. Just listen. We're so busy educating our kids, telling them right from wrong. We never take the time to let the kid know, I feel what you're going through. We both know what's right and what's wrong. You know what you have to do, but I want you to know, I feel that you're upset, that you're gonna have to do something that you don't want to do. You're gonna have to give up doing something that you love doing. I feel what you're going through. 
It's not about right and wrong. We have computers. Computers are about right and wrong. Humans aren't. And if you and your daughter both know what choice she has to make, why are you wasting your time fighting with her about what she already knows? Why can't she feel, you know, my mom understands me. She's upset because she knows that I'm upset. We know what the right thing to do is. I know that me and this friend cannot be friends no more. I understand it. I know it. My mom knows it. But I'm not so ready to do that in class. It's a world of clicks. I'm not so sure I'm ready to break up with the hotsy totsy girl at a class. And what's going to happen? What's the ramifications? So sometimes your daughter, like you, doesn't want to hear what's right and what's wrong because they're not stupid. They know what's right and what's wrong. They just want to know that you feel what they're feeling and that you're okay with what they're feeling. Secret number two about listening. Alcoholic Anonymous has discovered one of the most powerful things in recovery. Sharing with a fellow addict who's in recovery is far more powerful than the greatest professional on addiction. Why is it, women, that we're so afraid to let our kids know that we also struggle? Why is it that you women cannot talk to your daughters and let them know that in your days there wasn't texting, but there was standing outside of 770, hopping a little blick at the boys' side? What's wrong? What's wrong if your daughters know that you also struggled with getting dressed in a certain manner? What's wrong if your daughters can see with you eye to eye? Who says that we have to always be Virgin Mary in the eyes of our kids and then expect them to trust us and connect with us and understand us and listen to us. My mom understands me. She feels me. Not. The greatest thing I've done for my child when they were going through and I had a discussion with them with sneeze issues, the greatest thing I did for my child was when I revealed to him, when I was sitting in Zal, I actually visit my kids once a month when they're out of town. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but that's just something I took upon myself because I left home at 13, and I'm still in therapy. But uh, <laughs> in, in all honesty, I visit my kids once a month. And I was sitting in Zal, and we were talking about sneeze issues. And I told my son, you see me, your father? I went through that. You see your friends here? Tell me one of them who isn't going through that. And then I want to tell you a secret. I leaned over and said, you see that mashpia there? He went through it too. If you guys have studied anything about domestic abuse, let me tell you how domestic abuse works. Domestic, yeah, early in my career as a shliach, I had one of the first funerals I did was a mother and daughter that was killed by the daughter's husband. So I was thrown into abuse big time. Domestic abuse works as follows. Long before they'll do any abuse at all, they need to cut off your support system. It's a rule. Because if you try to abuse someone with a support system, you're dead. So they start moving you away from your family. 
They stop curbing your relationships with outside. And once they have you isolated and you're kaput, then abuse is a charm. Now think about your Yetzirah. What's the first thing the Yetzirah is going to tell a teenager who's going through some issues? You are the only pervert that has ever walked the face of this earth. Don't you dare tell your mother about it or she's going to think that you're a no-good machine. Forget about your mashpia ever understanding it. That man's holier than thou. He's talking to you about davening ba'avoida. You really want to talk to him about your issues? Your parent? They must have figured out some new way to have kids because they definitely didn't do that. <laughs> so what happens here? All of a sudden, you're stuck. You are perfectly positioned for abuse from Yitzhahara. He's cut off your support system. What happens when you sit by a Fabrengen and you want to do Teshuva and your Mashpia is talking about idealistic things and you're thinking to yourself, if only he would know. So the greatest thing you can do for your children is stop being a deity and become human. Share with them. When you talk to them, refer to your own experiences. Refer to your own challenges. Give them a way to feel that you're together with them. Been there, done that. I've had my falls. I've made my mistakes. I've gotten up. Yeah, I also lied to my mother every once in a while. It took a little while before I started trusting. If you don't sit on the same side of the table with your daughter, your daughter doesn't need to talk to you. She's got enough authoritative figures. She wants to talk to a classmate who's there with her, who understands her, who feels her. So if you want to open up communication with your kids, bridge the gap. Just bridge the gap. Find experiences with your child where you can somehow respectfully and safely so break for a moment the parent-child relationship and let them feel we're together in this. Now, I do want to tell you, my own rules, people agree, disagree. My child puts their hand on my shoulder to lean on me, and I'll, excuse me. I told my children a million times, I'm not your friend, I'm your parent. Don't make the mistake of allowing your kids to call your parents by first names, or to be buddy-buddy with you, or to make that type of joke with you. I'm American, and for those of you who know my mother will know that I only had one chance in my life to do that, and then I saw the dentist. <laughs> but the first time, the first time that I ever heard, I heard this with my own eyes, I was sitting by a Shabbos table in Israel. The first time I heard a daughter tell their mother these words, Bemet, oh. But you're all going, oh, that's normal. English, it means, really, are you crazy? That's Israeli vernacular. I was just married then. I turned around to my wife afterwards and we were talking about it. And she says, nah, she didn't mean it. I'm not asking you to break the one sacred relationship that your kids can have. I told you when I started out. Your kids have potential six billion friends. They only have one mother and one father. Don't mess it up for them. But I am telling you, if you want your parent, to, your child to trust you, let them know that you're human. Let them know that you sat in their seat and you still remember it. 
Let them know that you feel their struggles, their appearance that give this astonishing look. <gasps> what are you doing? What are you doing to your kid? Well, you want to make him really feel like a freak? Soon. So the point I'm putting on the table here is, guys, let your children know that they're normal, they're biologically normal, you understand them, you relate to them, but that doesn't change the fact that there's a right and a wrong, and we're going to get you to a place where you can be proud of yourself because you're doing what's right. And sometimes when you have to do that, it really hurts. Sometimes you have to mourn over a certain relationship that you have to give up. Sometimes you have to mourn over a certain image that worked for you so well, it made you so cool in class, and now you have to give that up. Let your child know that I know you have to mourn that. There was my, mor my mourning stage in my life too, where I had a certain image and then I realized it's not working well for me. I've got to give it up. Every once in a while, go around the table, sit next to your daughter and hold her hand. So I'm sharing with you three points in closing, and then we'll open up for Q&A. Three points and a suggestive reading. Point number one, it has got to be about the kid and not about your own image. Really, stop yourself and ask yourself, what I'm about to do, is it because it's what's right for my kid, or is it because my image as the perfect mother is on the line? Point number two, let your kid know through all their five senses, that you are the luckiest parent and they are the perfect child you could ever ask for. Point number three, listen, capital letters, listen without judging, guiding, or fixing. Feel them and share yourself safely with them. And now for my suggestive reading. There's a book out there, it's called how to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Faber and Meislish. It is more than great. I want to share with you, this book came to me because of my sister. I was talking to my sister, I was going through my own little struggles with my kids, and my, kid, my sister first told me something which I'm going to share with you, which you should always remember. She told me, Avrumi, the child that is like your spouse is a battle of wit. The child that is like you is a battle of will. When I heard that and understood that for the first time, it changed my dynamics with the child that was most like me. It's important to remember that. There are two different battles. The one that's like your spouse is a battle of wit. The one that's just like you, don't try using wit. Use will, it's a battle of will. And then she told me to read this book. So I wanna share with you, I, I will in a moment. Let me just share with you a story that happened with this book. So this book went into my bathroom, that's my famous library, my kids know. And one time I had an issue with my oldest son. He did something and I responded. He looked at me, this 11 year old. Hmm. He tells me, Ta, you got that from the book in your bathroom, right? <laughs> I went and I told my kid, I was taken aback. And I said, Mendel, you're reading that book? And he said, yeah. This is a conversation verbatim. And I, when I looked at him, new, Mendel, do you think it works? He smiled, he looked at me, and he said, yeah, it does. So once my son already says that it works, I think that's the best compliment a book can get. So I would suggest to you all, it's by the way, in Hebrew, 
The Chabad school in Beis Rivka actually uses it. They use their system. And in Kran Heights, my sister actually took a course. There's in Kran Heights a course based on this book. But go ahead and get it. And don't plow through it like zoom. The name, I will find out for you. But the name of the book, again, is How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Faber and Meislish. Those of you who live in Florida, in Aventura, in Lomans Plaza, in the kids section, on the side, the separating wall, the side that faces the adults, it's right there. It's a beautiful book, and it will change your experience. It will teach you such practical things. One of the things I never thought of, but it's so like, duh, was it has the cartoons a lot. And it shows how the dad is reading a newspaper, and the kid comes in talking, and the, the parents reading, uh-huh, yeah, okay, but why are you getting so serious about it? The second cartoon is, the parent puts down the newspaper, turns around, go ahead, sweetheart, what do you want? That has worked with my kid like magic. Now let me tell you two sides of the coin. There are times my kids come over to me, I tell them, I can't right now. Sweetie, is it an emergency or can it wait? But she, is it an emergency? They'll usually, at a very young age, be able to tell you, no, it's not an emergency, I'm just upset. Let me finish, and then I'm all yours. Versus some other times when I think that I could take a break from what I'm doing, I stop what I'm doing, I turn around. Do you have any idea how a kid feels? You have any idea? Tati's by the computer, typing his lecture. Tati stopped, turned around, and said, go ahead. What's the issue? I want to share with you another thing I learned. Many, many times in my field, we are very frustrated. I'm in the car. My kids are having regular kid issues. But Tati is having a I'm going to kill someone issue. I've so learned to tell my kids, guys, Tati's upset. Listen to the next words. It has nothing what to do with you. Just give me a couple of moments. When I first started that with my kids, they would ask me, Taz, is it something I did? I said, no, I told you. It has nothing what to do with you. I just got off the phone with someone. Something just happened in the Chabad house. Something's going on. It's nothing what to do with you. Just give me a couple of minutes, have your phone, and we'll talk. It allows children to interact with you. When he's mine, he's mine. When he's not mine, because he's busy with something, I'll just let him know, and he will get to me. So guys, the book is very important. I really suggest that you read it. I told you again, it's in Hebrew and in English. And these three points, it's not all there is to parenting. <laughs> My brother-in-law once told me a beautiful thing. In America, you need a license to drive, a license to open a business, but you don't need a license to have kids. That's a very interesting thing. Unfortunately, kids don't come with a little manual. You know when you buy these dolls, they come with a little manual? <laughs> you know how to take care, but it's not that way with kids. I want to share with you one more thing, and this is not in my notes, this I'm just talking right now. I had the unfortunate occasion when I accused my kid of lying and he wasn't lying. I was so beside myself that I went over to the teacher and spoke to the teacher. The teacher told me something which I live with. The great things about kids are you'll always have another chance. If you read that book and you botch up, don't beat yourself up. There's nothing wrong with apologizing to your kid, which is a biggie in my life. There's nothing wrong with telling your kid, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I should have listened. 
You'll always get a second chance because they're gonna get into mischief again. Just be human with your kids. Make sure it's about your kid. Make sure that you listen to them and make sure that you have unconditional love even when you want to kill them. When I say you want to kill them, I want to tell you another saying. My sister is a big source of uh, strength for me in case you haven't realized. Javi Katzman, she's a lot younger than me, but she's a lot wiser in these things. She has a great saying on her, on her door, on her fridge door. It says like this, when your kids are young, you want to eat them up. When they grow up, you regret you didn't. <laughs> but it's just beautiful. Every moment of your life with your kids could be beautiful. If you stop playing, I'm the parent, you're the kid, you know how to do that. But also know how to hold their hand, know how to listen to them, know how to earn their trust because they deserve it from you. And guys, that's it I have to say for today. We'll open up for Q&A in a moment.